Okay, good afternoon. Amy Skinner from the US. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Welcome to Candor Therapy. All right, I'm very, I uh, feel very privileged to have you on today. Uh, you are definitely someone that comes up in my social media feed every single day, writing some <laughs> really cool. Uh, when I look at what you write, I can see that you understand the layers of the horse. So, and I love how you're just able to capture that every day. Well, thanks for having me. I, um, I love writing, so it's easy to do. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So I've got a list of questions. I've given them to you. Going to start going through them. So my first one is my favorite uh, question that I ask people. Um, I would like to know your elevator story. So if you had two minutes to tell someone who you are and what you did, what would you say? Um, well, the easiest, simplest thing is to think about it as a um, postural and emotional rehab is pretty much what I do or behavioral rehab. Um, so I don't do anything that really involves veterinary care, but if they have some physical or emotional baggage, they kind of patch it up. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, now <laughs> I, I do have to laugh because when I, um, uh, you know, I was, I was scrolling through your blogs to, and your, and your social media posts, um, because there's one that I remember that I swear had 20,000 shares or something like that. And I couldn't kind of find it because there's so much good stuff on there. Um, <laughs> but what I did come across, which made me laugh was, um, your introduction slide that you give people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was it? It was just like, Australians really appreciate that type of humor massively. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I think what was it? Owner of one blue ribbon and yeah, yeah, of of one. <laughs> <laughs> aficionado of minute details you know yeah it's just like the details you know are really cool all right yeah. so I want to know this and it's a classic question I got to ask everyone uh that comes on so how did you get into horses uh you know I have no idea because my family growing up we didn't even have a goldfish a cat a dog like <laughs> nothing like that it just was yeah. one of those things where I was that girl that was begging for riding lessons so I begged long enough and I got into it and I never quit. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so not like from one of those families that had the farm or the parents rode no. horses or anything like no. that. Not even a goldfish. That's like, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's serious. <laughs> they All got right. into animals later because of me, but we didn't, I was the animal person. <laughs> that's cool. Can I ask you though, do you remember like... What was it? Do you remember the first time you saw a horse or an image of a horse or was it from TV like Black Beauty or something like that? Do you have any memory of what it, what it actually was? I, I don't remember where it started, but I do remember the first horse I ever rode was a horse at camp. And it was one of those ones that was hooked up to the like wheelie go round, you oh, know, yeah. and you just like put the kid on it and you go around in a circle. And his name was Brownie. And that was I was in love. That was it. <laughs> That's funny. So. It's, retrospect it's really sad but <laughs> ah, that's cool my first was a very similar experience and his name was boots and I remember that yeah. granny and boots like you know, yeah riding school <laughs> horses or, or yeah horses all right so can you tell us about the most significant light bulb moment that you've had with horses that changed the way you do things or you look you probably have had a few looking at the kind oh, of I've had so many yeah so, so give us a one or a couple. I don't mind, but I'd be intrigued. Wow. And I've had so many uh, and it just keeps thinking like every time I think I have got somewhere, something comes and wallops me on the head and is like, you idiot, you still don't have it. You know, yeah. those kind of moments happen to me all the time. 
but the most recent and most important one, I think, is that, you know, the behavior and movement patterns are so closely connected, they can't be pulled apart. Yeah. Um, and I learned that from my gelding who was given to me because he was a upper level dressage horse, but he reared and he reared badly and he would rear up and spin off. Yeah. So he's very dangerous. Um, he was a very emotionally shut down horse, but once he uh, stopped rearing, he was dead, dead lame. So Oh, wow. I had to rehab him. I was trying to do the two things separately, the behavior and then the the rehab. And they ended up happening at the same time. And it was a light bulb for me that, you know, his body felt so terrible. His behavior was so terrible. And the two just kept feeding yeah. each other. Yeah. So what ended up being wrong with him? Or how did you help him in the long run? So the thing that baffled me was that nothing was wrong with him. I had everything x-rayed from head to tail. Yeah. nothing was he had clean x-rays they couldn't find anything wrong with them and the thing is is that he was just so out of balance and so tight that he limped yeah, yeah wow and I would I would halter him and he would start limping and yeah. it was just loads of tension loads yeah. of tension so what did that yeah. go through wow yeah I, I had a did a podcast yesterday with Tammy um Elkaram who yeah yeah with um uh, tensegrity and, and, and stuff like that. And we we're talking a lot about hidden lamenesses, that whole thing. You go to the vet, you get them x-rayed from head to foot, you get lame and they can't find anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that took you on a bit of a journey into posture and movement. Yeah. That's almost every horse in my barn now is nothing's wrong with them, but everything's wrong with them. And we don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I put about another significant light bulb moment besides that. Um, so I, uh, one summer I had 12 training horses. It's a lot, but I was just jam packed with horses and I was so busy. I just couldn't even, my head was spinning. I couldn't even keep up with everybody. And I was trying to train everybody and get everything done. And I always felt like I was behind. And I remember going out to catch this mare and she didn't want to get caught. And so I was like, I only have 10 minutes. So in this 10 minutes, I'm just going to see if she can connect to me a little bit and then I'll leave. Yeah. Well, the next day I didn't have any trouble catching her. And so then I worked on it again. And I realized that by doing less in smaller time, I was actually getting more done. Yeah. And I realized that I was training too much. Yeah. And that it's always better to focus on one basic thing. And it actually saves me a lot of time. Yeah. The difference between training <laughs> and coaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can do a lot and lot little bits in coaching, not necessarily yeah. the, to train the whole that thing. That was a of it. big light bulb for me. Cause you know, people are giving you money and you want to give them something for their yeah. money. It makes it worse. And you got to think you got to click clock up minutes instead of make yep. changes. Yeah, that's exactly. Happening. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you have a significant <laughs> horse in your past that taught you an important lesson? Oh, so many, so many. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the most uh, exciting one would be a Mustang we had named Marlon. And uh, I named him Marlon because he was like a Marlon on a line. He just <laughs> fought so hard. <laughs> <laughs> he was the most uh, self-preserving horse I've ever met. I mean, he was one that would have killed himself before ever. Yeah. And he was, he was so suspicious. He, he had a hair trigger for reaction. Yeah. yeah. And that was another one. I, I remember his first ride and this was still when I was training kind of with, uh, I wouldn't call it flooding, but I was doing a lot more desensitizing work then. And so I yeah. spent a lot of time trying to get him to stand quietly and tolerate stuff. Yeah. And 
Yeah. I, I remember going to put my foot in the stirrup and he turned and he kicked me and knocked me over with both hind feet with just enough intensity to just touch my chest. Yeah. And it was like, it wasn't enough to bruise me. It was just yeah. enough to be like, knock that off. Yeah. And I remember, <laughs> I remember laying there on the ground and being like, point taken. <laughs> <laughs> that, that horse didn't tolerate anything I did. And that was a huge, huge wake up call for me. Yeah. So he demanded you changed your approach. So how yeah, he was up, like, <laughs> how'd you end up working with him? What was the big change you had to make with him? Slow down, um, so be smaller. Slow down a ton. Yeah. So I actually got him in training and it was when I was working for somebody else. So I was on his schedule, very rushed. Everything was turn him around, turn him around. And so mm-hmm. I was starting to feel some disparity between what they were doing and what I wanted to do already yeah. when this yeah. horse came along. And so I was feeling bad about the work I was doing, but it just didn't feel like I could do anything about it. And when this horse knocked me out, I talked to his owner about it. And I said, I just don't think he's a good fit for you. I don't think it's you know ever going to be a safe horse for you. Mm. And they begged me to take him. They paid me a hundred dollars to take him. <laughs> <laughs> up front just say yes he's 100 bucks (laughs) so I took him home and I actually just kind of relaxed completely about it and let him sit around and I let him you know kind of relax and we didn't really work a lot on training him and he got so calm and so gentle in the year that I let him have off that it was a huge learning experience for me too that training is never gonna go well you know when you train on these horses they get really defensive and he ended up being like a puppy dog yeah wow yeah but before that he would have killed somebody so yeah well yeah those horses that I I see I believe I talk about this a bit on the podcast I believe there's horse gods right and the horse gods present you when you're ready to learn a lesson they they send you a horse or they send you a situation um and you know your job is is just you got to work that out if you don't work it out, horse guys just keep sending you the same, the same message until like you go, okay, I'll work it out. And then they're, they're happy with that. And then they'll send you another one. <laughs> I absolutely believe that. Cause I, I can think of so many horses that just completely stumped me. Yeah. And, and it's I, always when you start to think you're getting good at it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I gave up thinking <laughs> that I knew anything a very long time ago. And now it's just when I meet something that I don't know. It's like, hallelujah, bring it on. Okay. I'm ready for the yeah. next one. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Get, um, I, I don't get depressed anymore or, or frustrated. It's like, okay, this is cool. So can you yeah. get another horse? Anything, any other like really cool learning experience? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I have, well, my mayor's name is D. And she was my first horse ever. I got her when I was 24. Yeah. Um, and the same, same kind of thing with her. She was a runaway. And, um, you know, I was treating everything like individual symptoms. Like she bolted. Yeah. So that was one problem. And she didn't stand at the block. And that was another problem. Yeah. And she didn't want me to catch her. And so I worked on them all in individual pieces. And then I got so frustrated because I never got anything with her that I kind of gave yeah. up. And yeah. then I... I've trained her, she's like an onion of garbage. Cause I've trained her eight different times in eight different like ways. ways. And each time the mayor's like, what do you got for me now? Like, what is it that you're going to do to me this time? Yeah. <laughs> so when I, when I finally started working on just getting her body balanced, yeah. every single problem dropped all at once. She stands yeah. tied calmly. She stands to be saddled calmly. She's happy to be caught. And it was like, well, duh, you dummy. Yeah. That whole discomfort or not being able to work properly thing and the the stress that that causes and then how that yeah. manifests. Uh-huh. Yeah, very cool. This yeah, 
All right. I got another question for you. Okay. All right. All right. Who do you rate as the most important influences in your belief about working and training horses? Ooh, um, so I, I met Brent Graff, I think seven years ago. And that was when I was working with uh, some more confrontational styles of work at the time. And so to me, it was like really amazing to watch how quiet and clear he was. He was both of them. He was quiet and clear and not like all, uh, you know, like will them to move without any touch, you know, that kind of thing. Like he was very clear and very soft and quiet. So that changed my way of thinking with horses forever. Um, and then, and then my, my other teacher is Teresa Doherty and she's a, um, Egon von Neindorf student. So that's where I started to learn all of the postural work and that kind of a thing. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So you've got that kind of horsemanship side to you as well as the classical dressage principle and you merge the two. Yeah. I think they, I think they work well together. If you, think about how the horsemanship is going to blend into the to the dressage because I think the problem is people do the groundwork to make them safe and then they undo all the whirly giggy stuff that they did and horsemanship stuff and so I think you just have to think it through a little bit but I I do think that they can blend yeah you just have to be careful I gotta ask you this question okay because you got the horse's mind and you got the horse's body what do you Mm -hmm. target first I think it depends on the horse yeah um I typically kind of think they go together pretty well most of the time, but there are some horses that I think uh, it scares them too much to do too much one or the other. Yeah. Um, I, guess, I don't have a great answer for that. Cause I think, I think it's a, it's a depends kind of a situation. Yeah, so Ultimately just... it's nice to have them go together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you, you'll pick it when you work with a horse, you'll pick it. Um, do yeah. You I kind of like... try to see where they're at. Like what, yeah. what am I going to be able to access right now in a way that helps them feel good about what we're doing? So I'll give you two scenarios, right? Two scenarios, okay. classic different ends of the spectrum. You had a horse that's real sticky, like real defensive. Mm-hmm. So when you ask mm-hmm. it to do something, it might shut down. It might stick its, you know, it might, it might just not go forward. It might threaten. It might say no mm-hmm. compared to the other horse that just a little bit of pressure. It just wants to move. Like it's, it's, it's body's running faster than its head. You know, it just mm-hmm. it, it wants to move. It's the opposite. It's not sticky. It wants to run away. So would you treat those two horses differently? Yeah, I think this the sticky one would need to learn that there's nothing to be defensive about. And this is a cool situation first before yeah. going to move their body. Yeah. Whereas the fast one, I, I might I might let it take its movement into a balance and learn to bring the mind and body together by letting him move in a, in a constructive way. Yeah, cool. Next question about that, because you're merging horsemanship and classical dressage. Do you still use rope holder when you work or just a cabison? I do like to use the rope halter, but not for very long. As soon as they can lead. Um, I, I like the rope halter for teaching leading and you know trailer loading and that kind of thing. Because I think I, I like a really soft rope halter, but I like it to fit well. So I think that it provides a very clear feel. Whereas yeah. the cabis on too early, I think is a little confusing and they don't know how to follow it. Yeah. But once, once they're gentle enough um, and that's going well, then I'm in the cabison for yeah. in-hand work. Yeah. But leading just, to and from the barn, I do, I do the rope holder. Yeah. So can you explain the difference of just like the rope holder to say for band and feels coming from under the chin and the cabison's coming from the top? So what do you see is the benefit of the cabison over the rope holder for doing that more 
precision work to do with posture, et cetera? Well, the cavasan allows you direct access to the atlantal occipital joint. So you can, you can open the horse's neck. Uh, and I do that quite a bit where I teach the horse to open the pole through the cavasan, and then yes. you can get much more accurate flexions. Whereas the rope halter is going to be more messy in that capacity because it's going to twist. Yeah. And so if you get bend, you get the whole neck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you get the head twist. And so, you know, the halter for me, the rope halter is like, can I teach you to lead? Can I teach you to, yeah. you know, those basic handling stuff, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to move the halter and rope around a whole lot. Um, yeah. because if I, if I want flexions and bend, I want it to be accurate and that's going to yeah. be the caps on. Yeah. And what's so important about it being accurate? That's first time. So you introduce what's really important for you to have accuracy from the start. I don't ever want to teach the horse to bend, you know, their neck incorrectly. So you always want it to be at the atlantal occipital joint and not like all of the neck happening at once or the third vertebrae or anything like that. And I, I don't want them to bend, you know, there's the, the old classical principles. You don't bend the neck past where the rib cage can bend. So yeah. I'm pretty picky about that kind of thing, which is where it deviates from horsemanship because horsemanship yeah. tends to do a lot of bending. Yeah. So I think that you have to blend those very carefully and just know where you're going. Yeah. So it's, you're saying that it's just what that horse learns that first time. If you get mm -hmm. the habits of movement correct, yeah. Yeah. that can save you a whole lot of correction down the track. Yes. Or, you know, how some horses will learn how to, you know, turn one way correctly and the other turn yeah. a bit of it or more of a yeah. neck bend. So then exactly. straight through their body. So you're really paying those, those the aficionado of minute details of how important that first thing <laughs> they learn is. <laughs> yeah, and that's when my clients sometimes get frustrated because they're like, you know, how long are we going to do this? And I'm like, well, your horse is turning his head crooked every time he looks over his shoulder. So yeah. this is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> how are they going to move well through their body and how are they going to Exactly. Develop? Yeah. Okie dokie. All right. So huh, this is a good, I love asking uh, professional <laughs> clinicians this. What frustrates you most in the equestrian world? What frustrates Oof, uh, you most? I can think of a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly think that in the clinic world, there is so much, uh, there's two things that bother me. One, one is that I think clinic goers tend to look at their clinician as like a guru. And yeah. so they want answers and they just want to swallow the answers and sort of be told what to do and they don't ask why and they're not expecting yeah. the why is explained and so a lot of times when I go in and start teaching clinics I start asking people why they're doing something because I honestly want to know I honestly want to know what is it you're trying to do and a lot of people think that they've got to give me the answer and they they're not engaged in like a dialogue with me yeah. and so um, then I, I forget. And then I go out to watch other clinics and I'm like, well, of course that they think that because that's how it's being taught. So yeah. that drives me absolutely crazy because I want to teach somebody so that when I'm not there, they can do it. Yeah. You want to teach them how to think for themselves and plan for themselves and not just, yeah. Yeah. Not just regurgitate what we're doing. Yeah. And I think especially like with groundwork, a lot of people do groundwork with no context for what the purpose is. So they just yeah. do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. And then, you know, yeah. you go to the clinic, you buy the hat, you buy the flag, you buy the halter and that's it. Yeah. And off you go and you follow that pattern yeah. uh, miraculously yeah. and then it doesn't work and they wonder why. Because <laughs> it's yeah, not what exactly. they're doing, it's how they're doing it. And if you don't know exactly. what you're doing, you don't know how, how you're meant to do it. Um, yeah. All right. My next question on from that is, uh, just say with the, with the, okay, 
with being your female clinician, do you have any like, because I have this thing that, you know, it's really funny, especially when I have people on the podcast, like, you know, really nice, really good horse trainers that are men. It's really funny. I'll ask my, you know, followers and stuff, what would you like to ask them and stuff like that? And they ask them things that I've already told them. It's like, right. you know, they got to take, they got, you know, everyone's got to be, have their horse kind of help from a man. A man can save them. A man's advice. Do you have any, do you ever get like a bit of that by being a, Ooh, yes. uh, being a female? I can talk about that forever. <laughs> yeah. Like I've never had someone tell me once and it was really like, seriously, cause I never thought about it before. They said, oh God, you know, you're pretty good. It's a pity you're not a bloke. Oh yeah. You do really well if you're a bloke. And it's like, what? I actually had in my last clinic, not my last one. It was a couple of clinics ago. Somebody, I came up and I, she was in my clinic. So I tried to give everybody personal attention and I came up to her and it's in a group. And I said, can I, you know, you having trouble? Do you want some help? And she said, no offense, but I really feel much more comfortable with a man. And I was like, you signed up for my clinic. You know, you knew that this is like, my name is on the flyer. (laughs) That's hilarious. I actually had the, I actually had a bit of a reverse happen for me. Um, I don't know if you know a lady called Lise, but she's American, Lee Smith. Uh, so yep, I signed up for a Lee Smith clinic to get quite surprised that Lee was a female. So actually mm. had the opposite. It was quite <laughs> a, it was positive. And I felt terrible. It's like, there you go. I can't complain. I'm having the same like kind of genderization of names and, and what they do in, in, in. Well, you know, I always joke about it because I can provide an answer with like biomechan- biomechanical terms, you know, accurate details, all the information that I have, my experience. And, you know, you got Mr. Cowboy Hat who says something completely unfactual in one sentence and everybody's just like, oh my God, he's such a smart man. Yeah. <laughs> like- oh God, all the pressure of damn bloody pseudoscience rubbish out there and stuff like that, that drives me bananas. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, that isn't even real. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. It happens, happens a lot where I'm like, what are they even saying in that sentence? And there's like a thousand likes on it. And like that sentence doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite <laughs> ethereal or whatever. Mind you, right. I have to say by, you know, by watching being part of the horse community out there, I do actually feel a bit sorry for the horse gurus out, like the the horse gurus out there that have yeah, become yeah. that with lots of people, because I really feel they actually get their head done in, and yeah. it's almost like have they decided they're a guru or have they had their was head it put on them? Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of time that is because I've seen it happen. I've seen you know that create followings and stuff like that, which is great, and I think this is like a social media, almost like a social media manifestation where um they get validated they get validated for those crazy statements that they're saying and they you know and you know and that must do something to their head and and they go chasing something that's even more ethereal and magical or, or wacko or whatever and they just got these people that are just feeding on the kind of oh yeah it gets crazy the group and environment and belief and ideology or whatever that they're going down so I, I think there's a little bit like yeah they might create that whatever from their personality but I think they're actually also created they create a monster yeah. in there themselves one of the reasons that I write so often about not knowing stuff yeah. is because I want to be allowed the freedom to keep not knowing stuff. Yeah. I never want to be locked into I mean, any one of my beliefs or, or practices. I could change yeah. it in two months, six months, a year. And I want to be allowed to do that. I don't ever want to be put 
into yeah. this like you know stuff category because I don't yeah. I want to keep yeah. learning yeah and that's really what sets people apart you know is that openness mm -hmm. but not so open that your head that your brain falls out you know there's right. that <laughs> <laughs> it's like Oh, I had this hilarious experience because um, I go off to things. I'll go off and investigate things and, and stuff. And over here in Australia, we don't have masses of kind of things that people and stuff that come out. And yeah. I remember it was it was a number of years ago that this lady from that had labeled herself with heart math. You probably heard about that research study mm -hmm. of, you know, putting people mm -hmm. in force and looking at that. Well, you do know that was just one little tiny study with one horse and 11 people. But anyway, right. but anyway, right. she, she sold herself as that of, you know, working with, you know, heart chakras. And she also had a thing also with of vet pharmacognosy of, and I'm a pharmacist by trade. So it was using herbs or whatever with horses. So I thought, oh, it was just down the road and I'd go check it out. And, um, you know, we had our five-minute introduction to opening up our heart chakras and sending our horse love, right? <laughs> sending horse love and they would go into a love trance, right? This is what mm -hmm. she said. So anyway, I was like, oh, whatever, I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll give it. It was a burning hot day in summer in, in Australia and it was in a nice shady spot. So I thought, you know, I'll bugger it, I'll give it a go. I'll open up my heart chakra. And I had this poor old standard <laughs> bread. And I'm, we're just in these tiny little yards and you had to follow them around opening up your heart chakra. And, um, and I could just, he was just like, leave me alone, leave me alone. <laughs> and just kept subtly moving and I had to keep subtly moving. And he just, and then he just zoned out, you know, dissociated, went over the field, and just turned himself off. Right. Yeah. And I was standing there going, I have just slightly irritated this horse to a point that it's just shut itself down. Right. The woman comes in, right, and she goes, oh, my God, this is amazing. No, it was fine. She <laughs> said this is amazing at the same time was I said this is terrible. So I went, this is terrible, and she said this is amazing. And we had one of those moments where we went, stared at each other, right? And she was like, what do you mean? And I said, just shut him down. <laughs> yeah. Just shut him down because I just subtly irritated him. She goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, it's just like a, it's, it's like a stress pattern response. So he's dissociated, he's dissociated. You know, I followed him around, annoyed him. Like he told me he didn't really want me near him. I've kept my body yeah. near him and he's zoned out and gone over there. And she went, what are you talking about? And this lady had said that she had like an animal behavior thing. And I said, you know, like dissociators, dissociators, a trauma response. It's a stress response. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And she goes, um, you know, you have a problem with being uh, scientific and closed-minded. And whatever you do, she says, don't you repeat this when we get back inside. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was like, like you're closed-minded. And it's just like, well, hang on. What, am I meant to ignore the fact that I can identify this particular behavior? Anyway, that was my, that was my experience with being told I was too closed-mindedness. But in my opinion, I was, you got to know what you're observing as well and not just swallow things. Like, oh yeah, for sure. You can't be, I mean, the horse world is going absolutely bonkers right now. I think with that kind of stuff that it's like yeah. the emperor's clothes, like yeah. it's so far out there that nothing is happening and everyone is like, oh my God, it's amazing. Look at what's happening. And, uh, I, yeah, I see that all the time and I'm like, you know, um, nothing good is happening here but yeah. if you say the right words it sounds good and so yeah, yeah everybody yeah. gets excited about it yeah yeah well that's the whole thing of being able to you know that whole it's like 
kind of uh, correlation versus causation. Yeah. You know, like you hold on to a horse that's just say at a clinic and really worried and you're getting a bit buddy sour or a bit agitated. You hang on to it long enough, it will calm down because it's been able to process its environments, worked out it's not mm-hmm. going to die and it'll down it wasn't the fact that you were humming the you know or had right. your heart chakra open or anything like that you could have been repeating humpty dumpty in your head six thousand times the same thing would have happened <laughs> you know it's like it's like those miracle cures you know that like yeah you know you got a you, you cured a sore without the fact that your body heals itself so was it the magic water you were putting on it or was it just time and your body's amazingness the horse will calm down because it will process its environment and horses process. The, the thing to me though, is, is that like, I don't think that one is less amazing than the other. So like no. if it was your magical heart exactly. chakra, that's cool. But if it was just how awesome a horse's brain and body is, exactly. that's super cool too. Exactly. And that's the thing that's magical in my point of view. That's good. You don't, right. have to, but humans, I think we got this want to be in control and to, yeah do it you know it's like we can control things that maybe we can't but there's that that want and that drive to actually do that yeah 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 no I think it's it's super cool that a horse can relax itself I mean I don't see why that's not magical too no exactly like they're amazing (laughs) amazing creatures all right now I got more questions (laughs) that's okay. okay all right do you have any other interests besides horses no <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny because i'd say the same thing like no <laughs> you know i've been trying to learn to play guitar for several years and i probably poke at it 10 minutes here or there and you know needless to say i'm not amazing at it yet yeah. i don't practice enough but i would like to uh i just don't have the time yeah there's a time dedication thing to master yeah it. all right all right now this is, uh, this is one of my other, really, I've got lots of um, favourite questions, but this. So if you could, could you tell us, um, you know, if there's one thing that people out there could start doing today or start noticing or whatever that you believe would really help them with their horses, what would it be? That one thing they could start doing or start recognising, what would it be? I would love for people to start gaining awareness of their own frame of mind and body. That is like the number one thing that I work on, you know, and it's something like um, somebody asks you a clinic, a question in a clinic or a lesson. And the question just rambles on and turns into endless story time. And that's, you know, self-awareness. What is your question? What did you want to ask me? How long have you been talking? What are the people around you responding to your, your talking like that? You know, that's self-awareness. And I always say, like, if you can't form a clear question, how can you ask your horse what to, what to do something, yeah. you know, how can they yeah. know? So I, I, I wish if that was the one thing I left this earth teaching people, it would be get some awareness and control over your own mind and body. Yeah. That's so effective. So yeah, it's like, you need to work a horse. Well, you need knowledge. So you need to be able to like, be able to look and analyze correctly behind mm-hmm. or have like a, it, not necessarily correct because who knows what is actually correct like have a good analysis of what that horse is doing you need skills to be able to work it but if you don't have that self-awareness 
You can't put those yeah. two things in action. Exactly. Yeah, because it's yeah. you that's creating the dialogue and the pressure and whatever to the horse, mm-hmm. and the horse is reading you on a different level. So yeah, it's that yeah. self awareness thing. Yeah, it's, I I agree. I'm on I'm on <laughs> I'm on that with you. It's, it's the there. stopping the shopping cart in the middle of the grocery aisle thing. Like yeah. just where are you in space? That's so yeah. important. Yeah. Now I recommend everyone out there that's listening to this podcast, you've got to type in Amy Skinner into social media and all of them and, and follow Amy. So you get to hear, I love your, I love how you understand the layers of working with horses, those layers, those, those knowledge layers, the skill layers, that self-awareness layers, that willingness to learn layer, the attitude, the willingness to fail, the willingness to practice yeah. all those things, you understand <laughs> it. And every day you churn out these beautiful little meaningful pieces that people should read. It's almost like you could have a calendar, you know, yeah. like, oh, days with like the Amy Skinner, like fabulous damn goddamn thought today, you know, like get onto it, follow and click follow. So you get all Amy's posts. And not only that, you've always got beautiful photographs as well. Oh, thank you. Um, which I, I have a student who takes fantastic photos for me. Yeah, they're, they're, they're beautiful. And I love how they're just simple photos with wise words, you know, that's what they yeah. are. And I love it it shows it shows the depth of understanding the quality of the kind of the trainer and the the um, thank you person trainer and the the person being able to understand and work with horses that you are now can you tell us I know you got a number of books you got a couple of books and I I want to know if you want to learn from you because you are a wealth of knowledge you merge horsemanship and dressage and you you're able to see things that aficionado of minute details and people need to see them (laughs) (laughs) So can you tell us about, you got two books, what are they? Yeah. Well, they're, they're really just a combination of essays. So they're not really like training books per se. They're just stuff I thought at some point or other. And so they're all kind of just thrown out into the book. So the the first one is called to catch a horse. And the second one is called the middle road. Um, And I'm working on my third right now. Um, But they're, they're really just a combination of essays yeah first training ideas thoughts stuff like that yeah but it's those things that trigger you know because how humans learn because humans can only see and create a reality of what they know yeah and if you don't know something you can't see it that's why um you know people can't see the minute details until they're pointed out and then it's got to have for it so that your mind will actually lock into it people can see it yeah learn to see it and so it's from those lovely stories and pieces that you write that you open up little connections in people's brains to be able to actually see things and become aware of things. So a collection of essays or ideas, I think that's really cool. Now, videos, yeah. training videos, what have you got in that in that regard? Um, I have a YouTube channel. It's not awesome, I'll be honest. Uh, the tech part's not my forte, but I'm working on it. <laughs> and I have a Patreon subscription, and I'm trying to get together a video subscription, like a library, video library. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, organize it really well and stuff like that, so it has like a good flow to it. That's my recommendation. Oh, yeah. That's so like out it. of my wheelhouse. That I'm like a one-trick pony. Like my Bryant works in 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 this one way and everything outside of that just doesn't fall in. And so I have to get help on the video library. I'm like organizing it in a linear fashion because my students always get frustrated with me because they ask me a question and I'm like, well, it depends or maybe a little this or maybe a little that. And they're like, what's step one and two and three? And I'm like, there isn't. <laughs> you gotta find out when you get there because it depends on the horse. Exactly, like there's principles and then they all just get applied fluidly. Yeah. Now, that's how I work. 
are lucky to like in the US, you travel around giving a lot of clinics and stuff. Do you stick to your main yeah. state or do you traveling out of state? Uh, I travel all over the country. Um, I get all over West Coast, East Coast, and some of the middle. Yeah. Um, since COVID, there hasn't, I mean, I, I never did a ton of, I just went to Canada a couple of times, but um, since COVID international travel has been, it's been a possibility, but it's always been touchy. Yeah. So right now it's just in the US. Yeah, cool. And you give, you, you coach at home, give lessons? Yep. I do lessons at my place. I do video lessons. I do like video consults. So you can send me like a yeah, video cool. to have analyzed and I do phone consults and I do a little bit of this and that. Yeah, cool. So even though someone might be in Australia or New Zealand or Canada or the UK or whatever, yeah, they can still, if they're especially if they're really stuck with a horse, I'd, I'd come and ask yeah. them about it personally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. No, well, thank you. I look, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for coming oh, yeah. on, Amy. And yeah. I Thanks for having me. No worries. Hope everyone gets to check you out. All right. I'll talk to Thanks. you soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to Candor Therapy. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you leave a rating and a review where you're listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, we're at Canter Therapy Podcast. You can find Shelley on Facebook at Dr. Shelley Appleton, Horse Training Coach, or she has a fantastic group called Calm, Willing, Confident Horses, where she's been doing weekly lives. If you'd like to find me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm at Forenza Park. Have an amazing week, guys, and make sure you hug your ponies.